I've always believed that one of the main selling points of occupational therapy is its cost effectiveness. But this week's research really made me think through the complexities of that statement, especially for the acute and subacute settings. Yes, there is a growing amount of research on the economic value of OT, and the initial findings are promising. But the problem is that the existing research is widely varied, and there simply is not enough of it. Luckily, this article provides a great introduction to the topic and may add some nuance to the way you think about the value of your OT offerings. And for myself, I am personally going to revise my pitch for occupational therapy to say that OT can be cost-effective. So let's dive in. Welcome to the OT Potential Podcast, where we review new and influential OT journal articles then invite on a guest to help us pull out actionable takeaways that you can implement in your practice starting today. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Lyon, OTRL. And before we dive into this topic of the value of OT with our guest, Jeffrey Coe, I wanted to let you know that this podcast may qualify as continuing education for you. To gain CEU credit, you will need to be a member of the OT Potential Club, our OT evidence-based practice platform. As of recording right now, it is just $79 to sign up for the club and our many courses and resources, so I just highly encourage you to join us in there. But bearing in mind that this could count as a continuing education course, I wanted to state our two learning objectives so you can be thinking about them throughout the podcast today. Our first learning objective is that you will be able to identify OT treatment approaches that have shown to be cost-effective in the acute and post-acute settings. You will also be able to identify the treatment approach that has been shown not to be cost-effective in these settings. So let's begin by looking at our journal article, and then we will bring on Jeffrey Coe to discuss how this article plays out in your practice. The article that we are looking at today is called The Economic Effects of Occupational Therapy Services for Adults in the Acute and Subacute Care Settings, a Systematic Review. It comes to us from the American Journal of Occupational Therapy, and it was published this year in 2022. The article begins with just this general intro to occupational therapy in the acute and subacute settings. The authors state that the current research supports the clinical efficacy of OT in these settings to improve functional outcomes. They point to several research studies to back this up. I'm going to link to those in the club for you, or you can go find them in the original article. But just because OT care is deemed clinically effective does not necessarily mean that it is cost-effective. To understand the cost-effectiveness of OT, we need to be able to answer the following questions. Are the functional gains even worth the cost and effort? And is there a cheaper or easier way to obtain these same gains? So from there in the intro, the authors kind of head into what we already know about the economic value of OT. And the authors state that the evidence supporting the economic value of OT is emerging. Previous reviews have illustrated the cost-effectiveness of occupational therapy for older adults and for OT for people with cognitive and or functional decline. And again, I'll link to those articles in the club or you can find them within the primary research. 
But even though OT is widely considered an integral part of the acute and post-acute settings, no synthesis of cost-effectiveness has been performed for these settings, which leads us to this current paper. The purpose of this paper was to identify, describe, critique, and synthesize the published economic evaluations of OT for adults in acute and subacute care. So what were their methods for doing this? The authors embarked on a systematic review to find research that, one, focused on OT for adults in the acute and subacute settings, and two, provided a cost analysis. And to be included in this review, the research had to draw a comparison between OT and another intervention like standard or usual care. Data was then extracted from these studies using the Joanna Briggs Institute Data Extraction Form for Economic Evaluation. So what were the results of this systematic review? The review ended up including 10 articles But due to the heterogeneity of the results, or just the widely varied results and outcomes used, the authors were unable to draw overarching conclusions about the economic value of OT services. But they did group the articles that they found into four categories that are really helpful when considering the cost-effectiveness of OT in various applications. I went ahead and did my own coding of these articles too, giving them a red, yellow, or green light to visually represent the cost effectiveness associated with each of these. And again, in my written review in the club, this will be very helpful and I'll do my best to talk us through it here. So for a higher cost and lower benefit, I gave that a red light just because that indicates that the treatment costs more than standard care and the benefit was lower. So that probably is not the intervention option you would want to choose. And then I gave yellow lights to the studies where there was a lower cost, but a lower benefit and a higher cost, but a higher benefit. And then finally gave the green light to a lower cost and higher benefit as if you're targeting that area, that's probably the intervention that you want to choose pretty clearly. So as we're talking through these on the podcast, I am just going to talk about the green light and the red light interventions just because these had more clear evidence for cost effectiveness and the red light that it was not cost effective. So I'll go through those and start with the green light. For the studies where there was a lower cost and a higher benefit, one was in the acute care setting. It was a 1998 study and it explored a discharge planning service that included a home visit from the OT. And the cost of this service was about $18,000 per year, but it saved an estimated $520,000 by reducing readmission and bed days. Another green light where there was lower cost and higher benefit was in post-stroke. It was a 2017 article that examined the use of the aid for decision-making and occupational choice to identify meaningful occupations, and then subsequently chose occupation-focused interventions. And the article just showed that that intervention was less expensive and more effective than usual care. Another green light in that post-stroke area was a 2019 study that compared conventional treatment only to conventional treatment plus 20 minutes of virtual reality rehab. And the addition of virtual reality rehab overall reduced medical costs and improved outcomes. And then for post-stroke, there was one red light, meaning that there was a higher cost but a lower benefit. 
And that was a 2003 study that found that an interdisciplinary NDT-based stroke rehab program provided no additional benefit over standard care and was more costly than the standard care provided. So that would definitely fall in the not worth it category. Then I have two more studies related to subacute care. Both of them are green light. One is a 2008 study that investigated the effect of pre and post-op OT and PT for clients undergoing hip replacement. And compared to usual care, the intervention was less expensive and provided a greater benefit. And then finally, a 2019 study looked at a program where patients with TBI received structured ADL training during the post-traumatic amnesia. And compared to the usual treatment, this program was less expensive. It was around $42,000 versus being around $49,000, and it was more effective. So like I said, there were 10 articles. There's four more that were yellow light, but I'll just refer you to the paper to read those, especially if you work in that acute and subacute setting. And we'll head right into the conclusions and discussion from the authors. The authors say that overall, five interventions were found to deliver a higher benefit at a lower cost than the control. And again, those were a discharge planning service that included a home visit from the OT, occupation-focused interventions post-stroke, conventional treatment with an additional 20 minutes of virtual reality rehab post-stroke, for his pre- and post-op OT and PT for clients undergoing hip replacement, and five is a program where patients with TBI receive structured ADL training during post-traumatic amnesia. So while these specific interventions showed promising results in terms of cost-effectiveness, it was difficult for the authors to draw any definitive, broadly applicable conclusions about the cost-effectiveness of OT. Again, just due to that overall lack of research and the variety among the studies. The authors contend that there has not been much professional discussion on the best way to measure the economic value of OT. They believe that because the clinical benefit of OT is often tied to the patient's return to meaningful activity, we should seek to understand the cost of being limited in these activities and subsequently the related benefit of OT. So they close out with the implications for OT practitioners. And they say that this study showed that OT in acute and subacute care can be cost-effective. But further research is needed, and in the meantime, OT should carefully document their costs and outcomes at an individual level. I'm going to give just one personal takeaway from this paper, too. I can't quite help myself because I was an economics major in college, so this is definitely a topic of interest to me. So the one takeaway I wanted to share is that talking in terms of money just gives us this incredible shared language, and we do not do this enough as OTs. Part of being client-centered means speaking a shared language with our clients. And honestly, money is probably one of the most universal languages. And if we really want to connect with our teams and our clients, we need to get better at talking about the cost and benefits of what we offer. Jeff and I are going to talk about that a little bit in our discussion, but I just wanted to emphasize that because I think it's so important. So with that, it is just my pleasure to introduce you to Jeffrey Coe. 
Jeff began his healthcare career working as an EMT caring for the sick and injured and volunteering in the local emergency room during his undergraduate studies. He earned his Bachelor's of Science in Chemistry from UC Davis and a Master's degree in Occupational Therapy from Dominican University in 2018. Jeff has worked as an occupational therapist in acute rehabilitation and acute care in a level one trauma hospital. He is the founder of OT Dude, which is a website that creates helpful resources for students, practitioners, and the general public. And it was this website where I was introduced to Jeff and just became interested in hearing his take on this research. So without further ado, I will patch Jeff into this podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Jeff. It's great to have you. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be on the show. I am so thankful to be talking about this topic today. The economics of OT is something that I'm really personally passionate about. And it's an area where I hope our thought leaders are really turning to and leading us in because I think the future of the profession kind of hangs in the balance. We have to have viable business models and be able to communicate that to our patients. So feels like an important topic we're diving into today. But before we get there, I wanted to start and just learn a little bit more about you and your story and starting with how you found OT. So for the longest time, I did not know what I wanted to do for a career. And I was probably thinking about it wrong growing up in like getting a job as an angle. Whereas, you know, in real life, it is often... I think, several stepping stones. So this was kind of more of my experience as I took many career detours. So I was on a chemistry track, actually, for the longest time. And I found out that I wasn't really steady with my hands and handling chemicals and things like that. And I was safer off for everyone else around me, probably just doing something else. But I wanted to do something that really helped people, but also allowed me to use my creativity. So a family member recommended that I get my feet wet in healthcare by becoming an EMT. So being an EMT was a very valuable experience for me as it exposed me to one, the healthcare system itself, but also with personnel and just building a good experience as getting my feet wet into the healthcare system. You know, I went to places like the emergency room, hospitals and clinics, to people's homes at their most vulnerable of times. And at this point, I was floating around the idea of something directly involved in patient care and was looking into professions such as nursing, PA, and radiology. But I am sure like many of your listeners, I did not know about OT at all, never even heard about it. But if I did, I would have been on a more direct track, probably becoming an OT, such as in my undergraduate studies. So when it came time to make a decision and applying to schools, I felt like none of the professions that I had in mind were a right fit for me. I wanted to help people and use my creativity with patients in a meaningful way and also get the most one-on-one patient time on the job instead of doing other like administrative tasks. And my mom had a coworker whose son was in an OT program and she recommended that I check out the profession of OT. I did some research online and not even an hour passed and I decided right away that I wanted to become an OT. So I fell in love with how OTs work in so many settings from pediatrics to physical disabilities to mental health. And what really helped me at that time to make the decision was a website, the Bureau of Labor and Statistics website, bls.gov, which is a really well-organized and good resource 
database of all the major professions, and they had a page on OT, and it really just summarized everything from how to become an OT, what OTs do, to similar professions. And I was like, ah, I don't want to do all those things. I want to be an OT. And before the pandemic, I basically cold called a skilled nursing facility to be a shadow there, and to you know get my hours in for my application to. Just get started right away in person, seeing what OTs do with patients in a post-acute setting. And my shadowing experience provided me with the valuable insight of the values that I could provide as you know, a person of Chinese descent to the community and also being a bilingual speaker. And I felt like there was a gap in this kind of practitioner. And that's really one value I could have brought, especially valuing the contrast between Western and Eastern medicine and culture. Oh, there's so many parts of that story that you just shared that are so interesting to me. I think I anchored to this idea of looking for a career that balanced creativity with our analytical side. That's definitely a common theme that I hear talking to OTs. And when I look at this topic today, it's one I think where we have to draw out our analytical side a little bit more, which I think we usually think of related to the science of OT, but thinking about the economics, I think lots of OTs do have a strength in thinking that way analytically, but maybe we don't exercise that muscle as much. And I also wanted to ask you, the way I found you was you have this awesome website, OT Dude, and I could see your passion for occupational therapy, but also delivering high-value occupational therapy. And I was just wondering where that passion came from and how that factored into your story. Thank you. Yeah, that OT Do project, it kind of came out as a conversation with my wife. And I was like, what should I really do in my free time that was outside of work? And I was like, I know how to make a blog. I've done it before. Why don't I try something out like this? You know, I just spend like $5 for a web host and It started as a side project and I kind of started using it for work too in terms of like, oh, I need to like quickly find this assessment. And instead of wasting 15 minutes finding a random PDF, I can remake it and also have what I need. And I'm sure many other practitioners have a similar kind of need. So that's how it started and what got me into this content creation side. But I love that you asked this question about high value OT which also connects with the article that we are discussing today about the economic value of OT. I have always had a attention for small details and it was almost like a perfectionist kind of level when it came to the work that I do on the job, but also produce. I guess what has really taught me to provide high value OT was my education. I had some of the best and brightest and supportive teachers, but also some of the most rigorous in my graduate program. At first, I was kind of turned off by this and thought these teachers are like really making my student (laughs) life much harder. But I really attribute this work ethic to my successful, even like publication of my qualitative research from my capstone project that explored the experience of first-time guide dog owners with low vision. Another experience, I guess, that really changed my perspective about how I provide high-value OT was a learning opportunity that my clinical instructor gave me during my level two fieldwork in acute care and acute rehab. She stressed that the time that we spend working with our patients is time that we cannot get back, whether it's acute rehab, acute care, subacute, home health, wherever. Patients have a very narrow window of opportunity to learn and benefit from OT services during their recovery. 
So talking about costs, I remember just as a learning exercise when I was doing my fieldwork, my CI had me to print out my productivity sheet at the end of the day. At this point, I was seeing a full caseload. So this was a full day's work of seeing patients and billing for them. And on the bottom of this productivity printout, there was a cost associated to the services that I billed for for the day. Now, I don't remember what the number was, but I can tell you that it was a very, very high number. And this was an eye-opener for me and made me realize, you know, hey, Jeff, you better provide the most high-value OT you possibly can based on your experience because the cost of OT services are not necessarily cheap. Yeah, I am so happy to hear the push you had for high-value OT throughout your education and then as you got into the workforce. But I would also relate with your story of, I didn't think about the actual number cost of OT until I was working, until I saw that first printout. Mm -hmm. It wasn't as nicely (laughs) broken down for me. It was like for our whole department for a quarter. And that's when I got really interested in the economics of my specific setting. But we hadn't talked about that a ton in OT school. And I wondered Mm -hmm. if that was your experience as well. I graduated almost 10 years before you did. So I'm curious just to hear if that was something that you guys focused on in OT school or something that you picked up in the workforce. Yeah, I had a very similar experience actually in my OT school. So that's interesting that you said that. We definitely learned about, you know, the value of OT as a profession, but actually, yeah, don't recall learning about the economics of OT. I don't know how it is in OT school now, but It's a very important topic to discuss as the AOTA even has published several articles on this topic and a lot of new research is now coming out, like the article we're talking about in this area. But I think there are probably two reasons, I think, for this educational gap in OT in terms of economics. One is that the OT curriculum has a lot to cover. The second is that in general, I think there is not a lot of research in this area. If you look at the ACOAT learning objectives for OT programs, for example, it's a very long list of things to cover in a short amount of time. I think it's short, but it kind of flew by my OT school. But because OT is moving towards a doctorate's degree, I think there is an opportunity to consider integrating this education into the curriculum. One course that we were required to take, for example, was professional development. And we learn about important topics such as insurance and management. So I think a course like professional development would be a perfect place to teach students about the economics of OT. Even if it's just, say, one lecture to expose students to this topic, I think it could be very helpful. Even if we are not explicitly thinking about cost and value, we are dealing with the economics of OT. So if we can learn about what it is and not, say, dread dread it or shy away from it, we can better advocate for why OT is or is or is not feasible on a case-by-case basis based on cost. And I think the second reason is we haven't really had much research. And this is actually what the authors point out in the article as well, is that there's just not a lot of research in this area, but especially also in our profession too. If you look at the Systematic Reviews bibliography, for example, the years cited in this article were relatively recent. And what research was available concerning economics was very heterogeneous and with research across, say, different settings, different healthcare settings, different cultures, and different interventions. So it's really challenging to make this a teaching point when maybe the research is sparse and not definitive. 
But this also makes it a very exciting time for OT, with the advent of, say, the internet, researchers easily disseminated, analyzed, and the results shared with relevant stakeholders and people like us. There are now many different mediums to consume this high level of information, like on this podcast. But studies often show that OT is still often underutilized. So I think there needs to be a collective effort on all fronts, from the education side, say for students, to policy, to OT practitioners, or even other practitioners explicitly thinking about and talking about the economics and learning about that through, say, continuing education and their own personal professional development. Yeah, I absolutely agree with everything that you said. And I think the research has been lacking in this front. I think lots of times insurance clouds costs around things that makes it more complicated to understand. But it's not unachievable that we understand these things. Like you said, there's so many more resources out there. And across healthcare, there's this push to understand our cost better because definitely here in the United States, we're spending a lot on healthcare and not getting as good of outcomes as they see around the world. So mm-hmm. that's a huge problem and something that lots of people are turning their attention to. If we could do that collectively as OTs, I think it creates this really unique opportunity to connect with our patients better, connect with our team better, and just be leaders in the healthcare field. I was wondering, just like practically, you touched on this a little bit, but when you're practicing, have you historically thought about your services in terms of cost-effectiveness or talked about them with your teams or patients that way? Yeah, what's your history there? I would say so, probably in a way, maybe not directly in terms of the concept or, yeah, basically the concept of cost, but probably indirectly when it comes to, say, discharge planning. So I work with a really small team in acute rehab, so one real benefit is close-knit and effective communication. Not only do we have regularly scheduled discharge planning meetings, but we can easily, say, turn our heads in the office and discuss our discharge plan with the team or drop into the offices where the doctor or the PA or the case manager may work, and they're curious to hear about how the discharge planning is going, and that relates to cost-effectiveness in a way. So one thing that we're probably all constantly determining is the anticipated discharge date for the patients. And while this is not directly the same variable as cost, it is closely tied to it. For OT In terms of services, a longer hospital stay equates to higher costs due to the rehabilitation services, among other things. And sometimes we as a hospital may not even get paid for it based on the patient's insurance. So definitely cost goes into it in terms of getting paid or a delay in payment or not getting paid at all. I sometimes see the hospital stay of patients as an opportunity cost. So in other words, when we are seeing a patient for OT, we could potentially be taking their time away from something else more valuable. That could be another therapy session with another discipline that they may need more of. The patient may be getting much needed rest and recovering, which itself has its own benefits. And so I often see this with neuro patients, such as after TBI or stroke, who are not getting their restful sleep just because they are in the hospital and I may be doing OT with them. So Also, the environment plays an important role during the patient's recovery and is tied to cost. 
I could be the best OT in the world and have the best team working with me alongside this patient. But at the end of the day, if the environment could not be the best fit for the patient compared to being home, then that is something really worth considering in terms of cost too. So in this sense, the money could be, say, better spent on an intervention that can be provided at a much lower cost with a much better outcome, such as being at home with home health OT. And in acute care, I also love the ability to communicate with the team on the fly with discharge planning. Say in team huddles, we are expected to use all of our clinical expertise to say estimate a discharge date or to choose a discharge setting. This means that I often consider the effectiveness of OT from a cost standpoint, from how much time say I work with patients or if certain equipment such as DME is covered or not, or even where the patient lives. According to the research, more rural areas are often underserved due to a lack of services or medical professionals being available. So in these cases, I may want to see the patient for as long as I could, as they may benefit from it because, say, when they discharge, their chances of working with the rehab team may be very slim. Also, hired caregivers can be very expensive as well. So now add to this, the patient may need, say, 24-7 supervision, then the finances come front and center for the patient and their family and consequently to you, the therapist, based on your clinical reasoning and your decisions. So then I consider things like if a patient can improve at the cost of OT services or if they are maybe better off discharging and going home, but with hired caregivers. So it's also case-by-case basis, but definitely every single time the cost does come into the picture, even if it's Not really on your mind, it's somewhere there in the background. And also there's no one-size-fits-all answer. And that's kind of why I love what I do as an OT because it requires that critical thinking and creativity to use and to think outside the box based on what the client needs or their family needs. Yeah, I really relate with what you're saying, thinking about how I've thought about economics in the past was definitely related to Discharge planning, like you said, length of stay, like you said, feeling the weight of the opportunity cost during these unique windows of time. Like, are we doing the most high value thing when the patient is in this acute phase and they won't have this acute phase back? Like, we really need to be doing the most high value thing. But I think even though I was thinking in those terms, I feel like I personally wasn't attaching numbers to them. And there are numbers out there for us to attach, like the average readmission costs $15,000. That's a very concrete number and very makes sense to a lot of people. But I definitely haven't been thinking down to that granular of terms, even though the information is out there for us. So I guess my question is just how did reading this article make you think differently about the value and cost-effectiveness of OT? I think intuitively we all know that OT in general is beneficial to our patients and to our clients. The challenge, like the author stated in this article, is getting more specific about the variables such as cost, interventions, and outcomes, and how we should measure or at least be considering them. And what this article did a great job was of was synthesizing and organizing the data in a high-level summary into categories of cost effectiveness. And that's certainly one way I haven't been thinking about it or categorizing it in my head. Because 
not all OT may be in this ideal category as much as we like it to be just with any research or any variable and independent dependent variable that you can affect. That's just not the case. There's always one that is better than the other, A versus a B. And some of the interventions may potentially fall into this, unfortunately, higher cost, but lower benefit category. And so we should investigate why this is the case. So that's why we have, say, continuing education and resources like this podcast. It's so important for practitioners to keep up with the latest in terms of practice and the economics because it's constantly changing. And it also helps to stay updated with policy changes that affect the economics of even the provision of specifically OT services. Like we saw in the pandemic, we suddenly saw telehealth come front and center and there's costs associated with that and everyone's kind of scrambling like, oh, I don't know how much this costs. Or, so it's constantly changing. And we have seen how technology even can be a disruptor of other industries from say Amazon to Zoom meetings, like how we're recording this and Uber and Grubhub. And I think healthcare is likely to be next. I recently read about some healthcare startups who are providing a direct-to-patient system to help, say, cut down on costs to the patient by eliminating unnecessary expenses. And that kind of makes sense, right? So it's a very exciting space for healthcare, but especially for OT to be involved in because we all have a role or a service that we can provide because of the nature of our rehabilitation. It's direct face-to-face, even if it's virtual. And the less friction that there is between us and say variables such as insurance, and if it's more made more concrete with the right approach, we can probably get better outcomes too. So this leads me to think about the value of OT who will continue to probably evolve with the needs of our patients. And say the, for example, the AOTA, they regularly update their vision, such as their vision 2025 coming up. And it reads, quote, Occupational therapy is a evidence-based, client-centered, and cost-effective profession. So I'm really excited to see this included front and center for OT practitioners who should be considering the cost and effectiveness of how they can improve their ability to make informed decisions about their interventions to basically improve patients' quality of life. And another insight that I gained from reading this article is that cost-effectiveness can be looked at more objectively. So if there are interventions that are higher cost, but yielding a lower benefit compared to alternative treatments, we should be asking ourselves, like, why is this the case? Is this approach just not effective? Or what else is going on? And before reading this article, sure, yeah, I was thinking about things like cost and outcome measures such as falls and hospital readmissions. But Our outcomes don't necessarily reflect all of the money, like you said, that we're putting into the healthcare system. Here in America, we have some of the highest spending among the developed countries for healthcare, a whopping 20% of our GDP. So why is that? Why is it that the spending is so high, but we may not necessarily be getting the outcomes that we want? It may likely be due to the high costs and poor outcomes and also satisfaction. So then we should be thinking ourselves, What is the big picture and how can we set our goals ambitiously, even if it may be seemingly unattainable? And there is a lot of focus, say, with this area, say, the triple aim framework for healthcare providers in terms of the improvements. It looks at the exact same things, reducing the per capita cost of healthcare, 
to the patient experience and improving it, and also improving the health of our populations. So, also with the high rate of healthcare worker burnout, there's now even talks about a fourth aim about improving the experience of practitioners. So, I think this is really cool because it all ties into the economics, and it affects not only the patients but practitioners as well. And we should also be thinking differently about our services in terms of the economics because. There is a ripple effect of economics as well. Helping one patient at a lower cost leads to better satisfaction and outcomes, and overall better health for the community and the broader population. Then you say help a second patient, and then a third. And if the overall average is better, then I think that in terms of even an altruistic sense, humanity benefits overall, and we can all live healthier and happier lives, which is one of the missions of OT. I think.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, the more granular we can get with our numbers, I think the better for everyone. Just because we're all used to thinking of things in terms of money, and I think when we don't talk about OT that way, we limit our own reasoning about what we're doing, but also the ability to communicate. Like I remember when I was practicing, when I started. Learning how much each of my sessions about cost, and then checking myself and being like, "Was that worth seventy five dollars?" You know, and that's such a. Our brains are used to thinking in that terms, and I really think we need to leverage those really concrete numbers because that's what people are used to thinking about, and I don't think we talk about that enough or think in those terms. And numbers are so like universal too; like everybody understands numbers. Yeah, and then you can kind of have that. Internal check if something isn't working. Like maybe you need to look around your setting and be like, "Is this setting going to get disrupted, or what's going on there?" Like I think we can sense when we're working in a setting that's not high value. I think I'm saying that because、mm-hmm. I used to work when there were rug levels and we were trying to meet those, and you could just tell it wasn't a sustainable thing. And I've seen that shift in the ten years since I've been in OT. So those shifts are happening, and I think we need to be aware. And if we're thinking about the money, we'll be more aware of them. I wanted to ask too specifically about. I love how you called out like this article. Definitely said there are more cost effective. Interventions that they studied, and there were ones that just weren't cost-effective. I think that's a good reminder. It's good for us to see. Of the ones that were cost-effective, was there anything that you gleaned from those or honed in on? That's a really good question. As soon as I saw the researchers break down the economics into categories, I just had to investigate, like, and look at which studies made it into each category. And I was particularly interested in the lower cost with. Better outcomes category, as the research suggests that we should be doing this because it's working really well. A 2019 study under this category were patients with a TBI who received structured ADL training during post-traumatic amnesia (PDA) with less expensive but more effective than standard care. They found another study was one in 2017, and among these 24 participants who had a stroke, so neuro and Occupation-based approach significantly improved their quality-adjusted life years with cost effectiveness. So, cost comes into play again here, compared to an impairment-based approach. More specifically, these OTs identified meaningful occupations jointly with the participants, and they collaborated on goals to prioritize in their therapy sessions, such as using the COPM Canadian Occupational Performance Measure. So, it's a very top-down approach. And 
I like this because it is an example of what they did and how it can be really effective and carry over to being the client and even getting down to their cultural background. For example, what they did in the intervention group was using chopsticks to eat food, which is a client-centered and culturally-centered activity. What they focused on in the control group's interventions were other things such as neuromuscular facilitation, muscular strengthening exercises, and cognitive training. So that's from a more bottom-up approach compared to what they did in terms of the experimental group, more top-down. So you can sort of see a pattern here with the neurological conditions such as TBI and for stroke. Top-down approaches showed more promising outcome measures such as in the COPM and the quality of life scores. In fact, the opposite category, high cost and low effectiveness compared to standard care were actually bottom-up approach. So definitely there's a pattern here that's going on. Just like how I learned in OT school too, like top-down is better. And so a lot of the research is starting to show that these top-down approaches are much more successful than the bottom-up ones for overall functional outcomes, satisfaction, and quality of life. So drawing this conclusion, I think, is very insightful. Even though that's what I intuitively thought would be the case, seeing it now applied to cost is a big deal. It means that not only do top-down approaches, say for neurological conditions, benefits our patients, but in possibly in what I probably guess would be other conditions as well. So it is also probably costing them less too. Yep. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And that's such a through line on our podcast that these top down approaches just seem to have the best outcomes. And then that relates to cost. And it's good to see that correlation between what we're learning in the neuroscience and then thinking about the cost effectiveness. Um, I did want to add really quickly to thinking about the orthopedic conditions, the trend of hospital at home, like not only thinking about there's this trend where we're going to get people home sooner, but there's going mm-hmm. to be a trend where we can provide hospital level services in the home. And I'll be really interested to see where that goes. I think OTs really need to be paying attention to that. I think that is something that should be really exciting for us. And we should be watching for those services that are coming out in our areas because I think they're coming and I think they're going to work. And I think OT has a big role to play in those. So I wanted to ask really specifically, and I think we've touched on this a little bit already, but I always think it's helpful to think of a value equation And the most common, easiest value equation is value equals quality over cost. So basically, if you increase your quality and decrease your cost, then your value is higher. And if we're thinking of our OT services in that way, just a very big picture, what do you think we need to be doing in acute and subacute to increase that value side for us? That's definitely a challenging question, I think. (laughs) It gave you a math problem. (laughs) I guess the equation is very simple. To increase, it's just a fraction. So to increase value, the numerator is quality, and you want to decrease the cost. So I don't think there's probably a straightforward way to answer it, but I think in terms of if you tackle each variable in terms of how you can improve quality, so that's improving your evidence-based care and the outcomes that are patient and client-centered or family-centered, and all the while decreasing costs, then you can probably tackle this pretty straightforwardly. So 
what are some things you can do to decrease costs? That may be what goes out to the patient. Do they have to spend on things such as adaptive equipment that you're provisioning them? Are they doing more unnecessary therapy or should you be cutting it short? Say, discharging them earlier or maybe having them go to another setting for OT, say outpatient or home health, whereas they don't have to be in the hospital. And this can make a huge impact on costs just by the setting alone. So, you know, one way you can think about it in terms of the PEO model, like person or the environment. So what environment are they in? Are they in the hospital or are they at home? And generally, I think I've seen in other studies, a home-based approach definitely costs less because you don't have as much staff there. You don't have as much equipment and gizmos and sensors going on. You don't have all these factors. It'll decrease the cost. That's not to say that hospital-based OT, like it should do it as less as possible because there are definitely patients who will benefit from it, who have a need for it, say neuro or those who have more complicated or they may have more comorbid conditions. But even for these cases, how can you decrease the cost? And one of these may be therapy time or what kind of things are they going to have to pay for? You know, So that's one way to tackle it, I think. What can you do in terms of how you provide OT in terms of the time? But just thinking big picture, quality over costs, I think is something we should be looking at. And I don't know, it's not an easy question to answer, but yeah, I think that's yeah. a step in the right direction. Yeah, I think it's more just training ourselves to think in those terms, like to be thinking in that cost and what's the value to the patient? What does the patient feel as the value? Not just like, what do we think is the value? Yeah, I think I can see the analytical side of OTs like really grasping onto that and being really good at thinking analytically in that way. We've talked throughout the podcast about getting really granular about the numbers in your specific setting. And that's different for every setting. I wish we could like do a cost analysis that would apply <laughs> to everyone. But every setting's different, every state's different, every country's different. Yeah. So I think the most helpful thing to talk about is how can we as OTs learn about the economics of our particular setting? What steps can we take to do that? That's a really good question, and I'm glad you asked that because it is a question we should be asking ourselves. One way maybe of doing this is by even asking your organization and leadership if they are already tackling these metrics. For example, your unit or where you work may already be tracking things like falls. Like I think nursing already tracks this. So you can investigate. Is it the actual falls or are they measuring other variables that may be also correlated with it or just something like falls in isolation? Because having, say, more than one data set can be much more useful than measuring things in isolation. And you could be looking at things like cost, length of stay, insurance, and so on. Of course, I think analyzing all this is in itself a job for itself. But having even access to this kind of data to poke around in as a practitioner can be very insightful for you. It could help you to draw conclusions and find potential patterns where, say, this intervention is actually helping to improve outcomes. Another question you could probably ask leadership is if or how are they rewarding high quality work from their rehab employees? And as money is a universal language and it's involved one way or another, it could even end up benefiting you, the employee, in the end, leading to, say, higher salary or even better benefits. An example of this is during the pandemic when COVID-19 first came to America. I remember having to cut my shift short or even having to take some days off when I was working per diem. 
So the company had to make some high-level, difficult financial situations that affected not only the patients in our community, but also the employees overall, save from stopping elective surgeries. So even though this is an extreme example, it's a realistic one that happened not too long ago, a couple years ago. So if instead the economics show that therapy as a whole, yeah, may be more expensive, but the outcomes far outweigh the cost, then economics can even flow directly to you, the employee, which is kind of cool. These higher profits and lower expenses can be passed on to you. It's actually one of the ideas proposed in the triple aim and the quadruple aim even by looking at the healthcare worker and the employee's well-being and their satisfaction could affect the overall big picture of better health outcomes that also affect patients and the broader community. So I would say start keeping an eye out for this topic of cost and try to learn more about it from your organization or with your peers or in your continued education. Yes, learning about interventions is important, but now we also know that cost and policy are just as important because it can even affect healthcare outcomes. So what I love about the OT community now is how responsive and supportive it may be. You can just shoot a message on like Instagram. So another way we could be learning more about economics of even a particular setting, such as one that you work in, is to get involved in your local organizations or to just reach out on social media or on discussion forums. And this could even open up a whole world of resources and networking. Yeah, I totally agree. I think we all need to be looking at the information that our organization is already gathering. And you need to get your hands on those numbers that are related to your services. And if you need to ask for it in a different format too, like when I saw Mm -hmm. that quarterly report about OT, I wish I would have been like, can I see the breakdown day by day? Because that was there too. I just needed to ask for it. And I think that would have been really helpful. So all about, we've talked about on the podcast before, just like getting a little nosy about what's going on behind (laughs) the scenes. And I think we have follow our intuitions about what seems important and what we need to be making decisions and ask for that information. And then also just following it broadly and big picture and talking about it. I think that's all really powerful. Like I said, I hope that Our thought leaders are really turning their attention to this and talking about it. I'm glad you brought up the AOTA. I think our national organizations need to be talking about it really concretely. Like, I'm glad to see it in our vision, but I want to see really concrete actions towards that too. And our networks need to be talking about it, like not being afraid to talk about money and costs. And I think our private practice OTs do that Mm -hmm. pretty well. And I think we need to follow their example for sure. I can't believe it, but we're already to our rapid fire section. Are you ready for that? Yes, I guess so. Okay, awesome. How do you usually describe occupational therapy? Occupational therapy helps people to do the things that they want that are meaningful to them. Oh, that's great. I love when there's no jargon in it. That's awesome. (laughs) What's your favorite assessment to do? Mm, There's so many, but one that comes to mind, clock drawing. You get so many interesting results. And I love showing it to say even my speech therapist and other staff. It's just very interesting what you get. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with that. What's something that you've read recently that's inspired you as an OT? Oh, a book called... Think Differently by Adam Grant. It's written by a psychologist Mm -hmm. and it really helped me to understand people's thought processes and 
what their firm beliefs are and how they may be able to even change them and what it may take for them to change for the better. So highly recommend it. Oh, that's super interesting too, thinking about costs. And that's something that we think about all the time. And there's so much psychology behind cost and value and I think there's a lot for us to leverage there. It's all tied together. <laughs> yes, totally. And finally, what do you think is the most important thing for OTs to take away from our conversation today? Yeah, I would say start thinking about and talking about cost. It may seem like a boring concept, but it can actually help you to advocate for your role and for the profession. So in OT, money shouldn't be this scary thing. We should just use it on our side, and use its power as a tool to help us all lead healthier and happier lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I love the example you've set, Jeff, of just being someone who's curious and who's sharing and some of these big conversations like the cost effectiveness of healthcare. There's not one easy answer for you to find. It's all about exploring and learning and being interested and just sharing what you've learned and kind of leveraging the power of our network there. So this has been a great conversation, Jeff, and I'm so thankful for your time today. And I look forward to upcoming conversations on cost too. Thanks for having me here on the show, Sarah. Wow, you all, this is a topic that I am just so passionate about I think that as OTs, we need to become way more comfortable talking about the cost and financial stakes of our work. There's already great data out there for us to share. Like I mentioned in the episode, an average readmission costs about $15,000 and the cost associated with a fall is about the same. It's about $15,000. So the time and money people invest in OT just has this huge potential cost savings. I'm going to be doing a major update to the post that I have on the OT Potential blog about OT and acute care. And I'm going to be linking to the numbers that I find and the potential cost savings associated there in acute care. So if you're interested, you can Google that after listening to this episode. I'm also just super passionate about helping to connect OTs to other OTs working in similar fields so we can be talking about these things And that's part of the reason that I am so excited to be launching a public directory for occupational therapists. It's going to be a perk of being in the OT Potential Club. And basically, you're going to have a map where you can find other acute care therapists and read a little bit about them and hopefully just use that as a jumping off point to get to know people who are doing similar work to you. And of course, related to that, the OT Potential Club is also where you're going to go to earn a certificate for your time today. All you have to do is take a five-question test about this episode, and we will generate a certificate for you. Okay, I think that's everything. So as always, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. I hope this podcast helps you broaden your knowledge, tweak your practice, and stay evidence-based. Take care, and we'll talk to you next time.